This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I'm Stuart Vonnie. I'm Martha McCallum. I'm Jason Chaffetz, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Tuesday, January 30th, 2024. I'm Dana Perino. For months, Iranian proxies have carried out attacks on U.S. forces in the Middle East. But after three U.S. soldiers were killed in a drone attack, there is increased scrutiny on the administration's deterrence tactics and how they plan to retaliate. All evidence suggests since October 7th, Iran is pushing the envelope in terms of, you know, what the red lines are. And again, they're creating this new normal around their proxy activities. I'm Dave Anthony. Republican governors are rallying around their colleague from Texas in a border dispute with President Biden. We talked to one of them, Kevin Stitt from Oklahoma. It makes no common sense, no financial sense to be thinking that we can be all things to all people around the world and not have secure borders. And I'm Jimmy Fallon. I've got the final word on the Fox News rundown. Since the Israel-Hamas war began, Iranian proxies have been launching attacks on U.S. forces in the Middle East. Over the weekend, a drone attack in Jordan killed three U.S. soldiers and wounded many others. Deputy Pentagon Press Secretary Sabrina Singh said at a press briefing Monday. I wouldn't say that the conflict is spreading in that we've seen, unfortunately, over 100 attacks on U.S. forces in Iraq and Syria and, of course, now in Jordan. Um, We don't want to see a widening of this conflict. We don't see this conflict widening as it still remains contained to Gaza. But this attack was certainly escalatory in that it killed three service members. Lawmakers agree that this attack marks an escalation in the region, but many in Washington are split on how the United States must respond. Following the attack, President Biden and Defense Secretary Austin said the U.S. does plan to respond, but GOP lawmakers are arguing the administration's pattern of non-response to previous attacks are to blame. They are calling for the administration to enact swift and serious consequences for Iran. But how did we even get to this point, where Iran-backed militias were emboldened to kill three American soldiers? And what is Iran's ultimate goal in the region? Look, obviously it's a huge tragedy. And this is a line that we did not want to see crossed. And I'm not surprised that the administration finds itself in a very difficult position. Jared Cohen is president of global affairs at Goldman Sachs, a best-selling author, and has served as an advisor to two secretaries of state, Condoleezza Rice and Hillary Clinton. If you look at Iran and this war in the Middle East since October 7th, they are the only country that has an easy brief. All they have to do is destabilize. And I view them as the short and medium term winner of this war because what they're doing is they're creating a new normal around all their proxy activities and they're basically blowing through any perception that there's red lines to constrain them. And right now, Iran's getting the benefit of getting to fight Israel and the United States through proxies without having to incur any direct costs. Um, And so until they see the U.S. do something that they don't expect them to do, I expect the proxy activities to continue. There's a larger question about how we got here. You know, for me, the Middle East, the war in the Middle East, it's kind of the surprise that shouldn't have been a surprise. If you asked me before October 7th, what keeps me up at night is that we cannot have spent 20 years obsessively fighting a war on terror in every corner of the world. Had COVID happen, realized we had a supply chain issue with China, 
pivot the geopolitical framework towards a tension between the U.S. and China and assume that the terrorists gave up. I couldn't have predicted it would happen in this context, but I am not at all surprised that we find ourselves once again dealing with the reality of violent extremists rearing their ugly head. And I'm not at all surprised that an unconstrained Iran is increasing its activity as a state sponsor of terrorism. What's so interesting about your career and trajectory, and we'll have more in the Fox News Rundown Extra that runs at the weekend, is that... um, all of your experience as somebody in government and then somebody in the tech world and then somebody in finance. And you also have not only the Iranian proxies attacking our troops, but also destabilizing global shipping. And what are the impacts of that? And can Iran really have plausible deniability that they're not pulling the puppet strings here? So Iran doesn't do plausible deniability. Iran does implausible deniability. By the way, much like Vladimir Putin, which is they engage in these proxy attacks, they deny it, but they leave behind enough evidence so that you know that they did it. Mm. Um, And this is all part of their strategy. Right now, if you look at what they're doing, they're basically baiting the United States to attack them directly. Um, They don't think the U.S. will do that. I don't think they want the U.S. to do that. Um, The one thing that I think the administration is probably very much wrestling with right now is out of all the different proxy groups, it's actually Hezbollah that Iran probably has the most control over as a proxy. I think that their control over the Houthis in Yemen is real, but the Houthis are a less organized and disciplined group. Same with the five Shia Arab militias in Iraq, biggest of which is Qatayb al-Hezbollah. Hezbollah in Lebanon is the most disciplined and sophisticated of all these organizations. And if there's a direct confrontation between the U.S. and Iran or Israel and Iran, and it's not done through proxies, it opens up a whole can of worms around a Hezbollah front. And right now, a Hezbollah front is something that everybody wants to avoid. So last week, it was reported that our intelligence officials gave Iran a heads up that there was going to be a terrorist attack possibly inside of Iran at the recognition of Soleimani's death. And I thought that was very interesting. That, And when, what do you think of that? Are we then trying to say, look, we can be cooperative here with you, but if they're killing Americans, then does that cooperation have to stop? There's very little evidence that cooperation with between the U.S. and Iran under this regime in Tehran has yielded the kinds of results that people want beyond aspirational or mm-hmm. short-lived. Um, you know, I think what's clear is the supreme leader in Iran is in his sort of final years. Who knows if he's sick or how long he'll be on this earth? But you know, this is about legacy for him. Um, there's also a revolutionary mindset that exists within the Iranian regime that you see metastasizing throughout the region. What's also sort of a strange, you know, idiosyncrasy of, of, of this is, you know, all of a sudden you have a Shia, largely Persian regime in Tehran and Shia Houthis in Yemen and Shia Arabs in Iraq and a Shia Arab militia in, in, in Hezbollah in Lebanon becoming the heroes of, or the sort of symbol of resistance in the Sunni Arab street for the Palestinians in Gaza who are largely Sunni Arabs. And so it's just, it shows you that this is less about religion. Uh, this is less about sect. Um, and it's more about kind of, you know, national, um, you, know, you know, sort of sovereign activities in the region and dynamics in the region. Then add in for me the complication of Iran being this this close, and I'm um, for those of you who can't see, uh, my fingers are this <laughs> close together, uh, having the capability of a nuclear weapon. Look, at the end of the day, if you look at what Iran has been willing to do with its proxy activities to date, um, you know, anyone who 
said that if Iran gets a nuclear weapon, so what? The biggest risk of that is proliferation. Or if Iran gets a nuclear weapon, they wouldn't dare use it. Look at what they've been willing to do with their proxies. Again, I go back to my observation that all evidence suggests since October 7th, Iran is pushing the envelope in terms of what the red lines are. And again, they're creating this new normal around their proxy activities. I'm not interested, nor should the world be interested in seeing a scenario where that new normal includes a higher likelihood that a nuclear warhead would be passed off to a terrorist group or, God forbid, you know, be involved in some kind of tactical activity Mm -hmm. on the battlefield. And I think that the two are now more conflated than ever. If you were uh, able to advise the Biden administration, do you feel like you have enough information to recommend what they do? Look, I think that there's a seemingly intractable problem here right now, which is, um, you know, you have you know, multiple proxy groups in multiple countries, you know, each engaged in, you know, their own agendas. Those agendas are tied to Iran. Um, You have a proliferation problem in Iran and you have an impasse in the war between Israel and Hamas. And my the, the problem right now is those that have the will don't have the capacity to turn the temperature down on this. And those that have the capacity to turn the temperature down don't have the will. And so, you know, like most geopolitical hotspots today, um, the biggest issue is who's going to step in and fill the power vacuum, who's going to lead. Um, this is one of these moments where, you know, it's presidential shuttle diplomacy. It can't be, you know, diplomatic proxies. This, this has to happen at the highest level. My last question on this before we turn to your book is Israel. And they find themselves having to fight for their own existence uh, after October 7th. And they're in the middle of this region also watching all of this around them, obviously an active player as well. What do they do next? Well, look, what I would say, this is the first geopolitical test for the Middle East since we moved off of the war on terror, you know, sort of geopolitical paradigm. And what it reveals is that the region has kind of become a tale of two countries, right? You have countries that cannot extricate their economic trajectory from the geopolitical baggage of the past. Those are the countries around Israel or that have proxy activities and countries like the Gulf, you know, wealthy Gulf states that are having an economic renaissance that can continue with their economic trajectory regardless. Mm-hmm. Israel is a hybrid of the two. Mm-hmm. Um, and a couple things have happened with Israel. First, um, there's just a major, major paradigm shift post-October 7th, where the idea that you can deter these terrorist organizations in and around um, Israel and the neighboring territories um, is no longer something the population is open to. And anybody that misses that paradigm shift misses another thing, which is that it is perfectly reasonable and highly likely that a significant portion of Israelis can both have challenges with their government and feel emotionally zealous about getting every single one of those hostages back. Mm -hmm. The way in which the hostages who are still at large and have not been brought home feature into Israel's emotional unity and the shift that's happening is going to be an essential part of everything that Israel does going forward. One other thing that I would raise, we knew who the spoilers were in the Israel-Palestinian issue before October 7th, and we know who the spoilers are after October 7th. It's, it's the same on, 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 on both sides. There's a new type of spoiler or headwind that we don't spend enough time thinking about, which is the social mediafication of this war means that you have more hours of footage uploaded to all the popular platforms than you have minutes of the entire war itself. And this is injecting identity politics into the Arab street, which is complicated for countries like Egypt and Jordan. But it's doing something else, which is it is creating a reservoir of content 
all over these platforms that exists as a massive, massive vulnerability for a future chapter of radicalization. Um, and I would like to remind people that the 9-11 hijackers were radicalized by watching far less footage at a non-algorithmic right. context right. of what happened in the Balkans in the 90s. Um, so I'm very worried that you combine everything that's been uploaded to social media with some of the migration trends post-COVID into Europe we could really be in for a whole new chapter of homegrown terrorism. I'd love to have you back and we can go all around the world with Jared Cohen. We'll just throw him all any country and he's going to have an opinion. I want to talk about your book, uh, Life After Power, Seven Presidents and Their Search for Purpose Beyond the White House. This book has so much in it. I'm very excited for it. Let me just give you a chance to tell us why you wanted to write it in the first place and how did you choose the presidents that you looked at? So, Dana, my last book was, was called Accidental Presidents, and it was about what happens when the president dies in mm -hmm. office. So once I finished that book and got through my kind of postpartum author depression, um, I wanted to ask the question, what happens when the president survives the office? Um, and I was, you know, it's interesting. It's the last, you know, 50 pages of the sort of long Ron Chernow biographies. And I just wanted to know if there was anything interesting in there. And some of this was informed by the fact that I've always been interested in this question many of us are going to ask our entire lives of like, what do we do next? And you look to entrepreneurs and you look to CEOs and you know, we never look to the presidency in part because we don't think about what happens after they leave office. And what was interesting is when I canvassed the 45 men who've been president 46 times, um, you know, I found that there really were only seven that were even worth talking about. And those seven were very worth talking about because each of them got after this question of what do you do um, you know, after the most dramatic retirement in the world after you've kind of given up what was supposed to be or lost what mm -hmm. was supposed to be your greatest act. And you take these sort of seemingly unrelatable people, these presidents of the United States, and you basically dig into their biggest vulnerabilities um, when they come back down to earth. And what's left behind is an enormous amount of prescriptions for the rest of us, not just for what to do in retirement, but just how to think about transition in general. Right. Goldman Sachs, president of global affairs, Jared Cohen, his new book, Life After Power comes out February 13th. Jared, thanks so much for joining. All right. Thanks, Dana. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox & Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. This is Jimmy Fallon with your Fox News commentary coming up. They call it an invasion. House Republicans are the last line of defense, and we're holding the Biden administration and Joe Biden accountable for the catastrophe at our southern border. And GOP Congresswoman Elise Stefanik says they're ready to move forward with articles of impeachment against Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, blaming him for a record surge in illegal immigration. He's violated the Immigration and Nationality Act uh, seven, eight times over. And these articles spell that out. And Republican Congressman Pat Fallon also tells Fox they allege breach of public trust 
and a House committee could today vote to advance impeachment to the full House. A Homeland Security statement calls it a farce. Democrats say it's a waste of time that'll go nowhere at the Senate. As a border standoff continues in Texas, the state is refusing to comply with a court order to allow Border Patrol agents into a park in Eagle Pass, Texas, to cut razor wire put in place along the Rio Grande River. 25 Republican governors have banded together to support Texas, including Kevin Stitt. To me, this is just absolute common sense. It's following the law. Kevin Stitt is the governor of Oklahoma. There's already H-1B visa opportunities where workers can come into a state. I think we need to expand that. We need to actually give the control to the governors to determine our labor pool. And when companies come to us and say, we need X amount of workers, we can do it legally, rationally. We know who's coming into our country to work. But on the southern border, there's 28 ports of entry between Texas and Mexico. And it's already a federal law. It's illegal to enter anywhere but these ports of entry. So for the American people, there are bridges. You can drive your car. There's pedestrian areas that you have to legally enter the country. So what in the world are we doing right now when you have the federal government cutting razor wire to let people into the country illegally, not through one of those ports of entry? And right now, the Biden administration is breaking the law. Now, Governor, the White House spokesman says that Texas is basically using political stunts like the razor wire. The White House is claiming this makes it harder and more dangerous for Border Patrol agents and frontline personnel to do their jobs. What do you say to that? I want people to understand this. I've been to the border. I went down there to check on our troops because I sent about I was one of 10 or 11 governors that sent our National Guard down there in support. And uh, around Eagle Pass, there's a wall, okay? And then uh, because it's kind of forcing everybody to go across the pedestrian bridge. And so what was happening is Texas was patrolling behind that wall with the border agents. It's about a quarter of a mile from the river, okay? So um, there's a barrier about a quarter mile from the river. Well, they were apprehending people right there at the wall, and the border agents were not doing their job. They were letting them into the U.S., okay? Mm -hmm. Because the border patrol was telling Texas hey, as soon as you're on this side of the river, you're already in the U.S., sorry, our hands are tied. So Texas said, okay, they're trying to get along. They went and built a wire right along the river to keep people from coming on this side of the river. That's all it is. So, again, how is that, how is that not following the law? They've also said that uh, Texas... But by not allowing border agents to get into a, that certain park and, and to have access to that area, that it's making it tougher for them to save anyone who might be in trouble trying to cross the river. There have been a lot of drownings, of course, migrants killed trying to enter the U.S. What do you say to that? Listen, we don't want anybody to perish or drown in the river. But now the Biden administration is going to be trolling a river when people are breaking the law and trying to save them from, from drowning. Is that what we're spending our tax dollars on? If we have a wire and you don't allow them into our country, you stop the migration. They know that as soon as they touch this side of the U.S. soil under the Biden's policies, then they get a free pass into the U.S. with all the services and the medical help and the free medicine and all the safety net services that we have for U.S. citizens, by the way not for anybody in the world. We can't afford that. I mean, what are we thinking? And so I would say keep the razor wire up, which is a deterrent from people trying to get in. The Biden administration 
has also said that Texas is infringing basically on federal authority, that it's up to the federal government to handle the border and to handle immigration issues, not Texas, not states. Well, <laughs> oh, you're laughing. Again, <laughs> you're laughing. Yeah, I'm, I'm laughing because, again, this is just a politician trying to spin people in a circle and trying to confuse the American people. Let's go back to the big picture. Biden is fighting to cut razor wire and let people in illegally. Okay, end of story. All right. Secondly, if you'll read Abbott's legal analysis, he talks about if the federal government is not going to do their job, then Texas has the right and the obligation to protect its citizens under Article 1. And I think he lays that out because he said this is an invasion. And for the American people that are listening, what else would you call it when people are are entering, when there's been you know 2.7 million in 23 entering illegally, six million totally since the Biden administration took office, um, outside of the ports of entry, isn't that an, what an invasion is? You sent your troops down there. You said, and other states have done the same. There have been some Democrats urging President Biden to just federalize National Guard troops. Do you think that could happen? Obviously, the, the, the president can do that. I, I would strongly discourage that because, um, you know, that could be a powder keg situation for them to uh, federalize, uh, you know, National Guard troops. Remember, these are Texans uh, that that are citizen soldiers. They they train, they work one week in a month, they're giving back. But but these are also people that are firefighters and police and, and they live in the communities. That's what the National Guard is made up of. Uh, to help serve a state, you know, the Texas, in my opinion, I think it put the Texas guys in a in a very, very tough situation. Could he do the and same to you, Governor, and your your National Guard in any other state? He could, but he would have to federalize all National Guard because uh, we he wouldn't know specifically which which, you know, which troops we sent down there. And I think it'd be problematic for him to do. Uh, to federalize, you know, Tennessee and Florida and Texas and, and Oklahoma and, you know, all the different states that are sending guard down there. Uh, but, yeah, the president could do that. And it's just a simple order. It goes into what's called Title 10 versus Title 32 is 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 state controlled. So right now, the National Guard in each state reports up to the governor. And if they are federalized, it's under a different command, different paperwork. And they're basically take their orders from the president of the United States at that point. Yeah. What would you do? What would any of the governors do? Number one, uh, we don't want to get there. We don't want to do that. Um, we we, we want to diffuse this situation and we want to follow the law. So I think the question is back to President Biden. Why, why are you continuing or your people or whoever's advising you that it's a good idea to let people into our country illegally? We already have a process for that. And that, that's a question I would ask back to who his advisors are. What, what, are they, what are they thinking? So how has this affected your state? Obviously, you've heard a lot of Republicans say that, that this is an issue, uh, you know, that is not just for Texas or Arizona or California. This is every state is a border state is what a lot of Republicans have said. How does this affect Oklahoma? You border Texas, obviously. Fentanyl deaths have gone up 500 percent since I took office. So it is an issue with the drugs coming through our southern border. Um, but I also look at, like all Americans, and I see the young you know, uh, men that are on terrorist watch lists coming through the southern border. 
And I, I also like to remind people, you know, there, there, there's immigration policy and there's there's H-1B visas and there's 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 the workforce that that we appreciate and like. And in Oklahoma, we've got a great Hispanic community um, that are here legally and working and they've got uh, visas. Or, and so that's not the issue. The issue is securing the border. Um, and so then you think about our health system. You know, Oklahoma spends about $10 billion a year on Medicaid and reimbursements for our hospitals. Well, we have to comply with federal law in our hospital and our health care system. You can't turn away people that show up at your hospitals. And so we know that there is a, a huge cost to taxpayers and citizens to take care of you know, undocumented people coming in for healthcare purposes. So all that added together, uh, it makes no common sense, no financial sense to be thinking that we can be all things to all people around the world and not have secure borders. Do you hope that there is some sort of a deal at the Senate, there's talk of one for border security that might be able to at least put some solution in place? I know Republicans hope there's a new president in 2025 to change things, but up until that possible point, do you hope that there is something that can happen in Congress? I really do. I know that the Senate is working on a, a border plan. Um, I think, you know, President Biden and the Democrats realize this is really harming them because Americans are are frustrated with this. And I think the tide has changed a little bit. They thought politically, because there's no other explanation why you would want to do this unless they thought they were going to all of a sudden make six million people voters and they were going to try to swing and it was going to benefit them in the next election. That's the only logical explanation. With one decision, President Biden could fix this by going back to the Trump's policies of remain in Mexico, and that would stop, or just saying, hey, when we detain you, you're going to stay in Mexico. We're going to return you uh, to Mexico. We're not going to let you illegally. We're not going to cut the razor wire. They could do that right now. President Biden could tell his secretaries and, 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 the, and the Homeland Security and the Border Patrol agents uh, to do that, it would be done immediately. He doesn't even need Congress to get this border secure. But I, you can't expect that. I mean, he may be running against former President Trump in a 2024 rematch. He's not going to do that and, and give the former president a policy victory, is he? You know, and that's the sad part about, you know, where we're at in politics now that, that you know, it's about the next election instead of doing what's right for the American people and what's best for the next generation. And I think that's something that people are frustrated. That's why they're so mad at politicians, because they're always making political decisions instead of what's good for America. And, you know, I think governors do things a little differently. We're just very pragmatic, just saying, listen, what is the best thing for our states? What's the best thing for our country? We certainly need a strong border, and, and I hope that gets done. Governor Kevin Stitt, Republican from the state of Oklahoma. Great to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Jalosi with your Fox True Crime Minute. The longest serving death row inmate in Idaho has now been implicated in a cold case nearly 50 years ago. Convicted killer Thomas Creech, now named a suspect in the fatal shooting of Daniel Walker, who was gunned down along Interstate 40 in California in October of 1974. The case went cold until November when more intel led investigators to Creech, who was sitting in an Idaho prison after being found guilty of five murders, three in Idaho, one in California, and one in Oregon. California detectives 
detectives worked with Idaho prosecutors to corroborate details from statements Creech made about Walker's murder. The state of Idaho sought the death penalty against Creech in 1981 after he was convicted of murdering a fellow inmate, beating him with a battery-filled sock and stomping his face and neck. Creech has been in prison for almost 50 years and avoided 11 scheduled executions. Earlier this month, Creech, now 73 years old, had a clemency hearing where his legal team asked that a sentence be reduced to life in prison. There's more on this story at foxnews.com. Subscribe to the Fox True Crime podcast with Emily Campagno. I'm Gianna Gelosi with your Fox True Crime Minute. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Jimmy Fallon. What's on your mind? I'm Jimmy Fallon, and I don't want to make this whole entire commentary about me Or my new book, you can order right now at foxnewsbooks.com. But cancel culture is a scourge on society, and I have a comprehensive plan to crush it in my new book, Cancel Culture Dictionary, an A to Z guide to winning the war on fun. Did I mention you can order it right now at foxnewsbooks.com? Or if you want an autographed copy, you can visit www.jimmysignedbook.com. And don't sell this project short, because if you like reading at a third grade level, you're going to love this book. Now, some of you might be wondering, hey, Jimmy, why'd you go through the trouble of writing an entire book about cancel culture? Well, the main reason is because I couldn't get a ghostwriter I trusted to do it for me. I'm not saying I'm Hemingway, but I talk like I hang out at a bar called Hemingway's. And there's not a lot of professional ghostwriters who can mimic my mediocrity and throw in a bunch of A-plus jokes along the way. And yes, I just promised you A-plus jokes. Believe me. Fox didn't give a former New York City cab driver a Saturday night TV show because they wanted to hear my analysis of world events. Folks, I'm a comedian, which means I'm not here on behalf of the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. I'm here on behalf of the keg party. And cancel culture is killing our vibe because it's giving all the attention to a group of people who get out of bed every morning looking for something to be offended by so they can show the rest of us how enlightened they are. Scientists actually have a word for these people. They're called losers. And I say that because the outrage industry has broken society's compass by creating a greater emphasis on what you say than what you do, which is why we're fighting all the wrong battles. Take country music star Jason Aldean. They canceled his video, Try That in a Small Town, because he sang about stopping violent criminals. Now, the song was only popular because crime has gotten way out of control in the aftermath of the defund the police movement. Yeah, the good news is Democrats never did achieve their goal of defunding the police, mainly because Biden thinks the police are a British rock band. But the bad news is millions of people don't feel safe in big cities. So Al Dean's song made major traction until cancel culture came along and told us we should be more upset about the guy with the guitar than the guys with the guns. That's weapons-grade stupid, but just one of the few dozen examples where we declared war on superficial things that helped nobody. For instance, when a team puts a Native American logo on a helmet, They weren't doing it to mock the culture. They were doing it because it was proud and it was fierce. There's a nobility to calling yourself a chief or a brave. And if you don't believe me, ask Elizabeth Warren. The Washington Redskins logo was donated to the NFL by the Blackfeet Indian tribe, who wanted the image on the side of the helmet. 
They asked to be called the Redskins because the highest honor a warrior could attain was to paint his face red before leading a tribe into battle. But some woke white people decided to whack the Redskins in the summer of 2020 because they wanted us to believe they were looking out for Native Americans. Now the logo's gone, but people living on reservations still have lower life expectancies and higher rates of heart disease, diabetes, and alcoholism. None of that got fixed by changing the halftime show. And if we're being honest, these days, the most offensive part of the Washington Redskins name is the word Washington. Because our government sucks, but they've gotten away with it because we're too busy fighting each other over the little things to hold them accountable on the big ones. Cancel culture has divided us by making everything political. Movies, music, sports, comedy. There's nowhere to unplug from all the political pugilism. When I was a little kid, my white parents yelled at me for eating too much ice cream. Now my Ben and Jerry's ice cream yells at me for having white parents. The point is, cancel culture has created a war on fun, but we can't let these losers win. Because any society that can't take a joke is destined to become one. So do your part and go to foxnewsbooks.com to order several copies of Cancel Culture Dictionary by Jimmy Fallon. But don't do it for me. Do it for the country. Be sure to listen to Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon weekdays from noon to 3 on foxacrossamerica.com. And watch my new TV show, Fox News Saturday Night with Jimmy Fallon, Saturdays at 10 p.m. on the Fox News Channel. And oh yeah, would you get a copy of my new book? It is at foxnewsbooks.com. Who loves you, babe? You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine.